<laughs> I'm Peter, if you don't know. Um, and it's a joy to be here. Let's look at the God's Word. Let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we do ask you that you would indeed speak to us and make clear to us what you're telling us through your servant Paul here and the scriptures that have been faithfully kept for us for today. Send your Holy Spirit that we might hear your voice and so be transformed into the way of living you long us to live today. Amen. Got the PowerPoint on? Yeah. I can't see that far, so I'm going to have to do two things at once, my own and that one. There are two themes in this passage. They're very clear and very simple. And just to outline them, there's one about the future. When and how will Jesus return? And the present and for now. It's the now and not yet. I know it's the other way around in this particular passage, but often as we look at scriptures, there's a whole issue there that the kingdom of God, the presence of what God's doing, is here now, but it's not yet fully happened. There's still more to come. The now and not yet is very clear. By the way, this is the first piece of New Testament writing. So it's quite interesting that we have here Paul rushing through a whole line of topics in the chapters that we've looked at and have had each week, which I've been glad to follow. So the future one. When and how will he return? Well, one thing is very clear, it's certain. It's absolutely certain. And for now, how should we live our lives? Well, Paul tells us in this passage with faith, with hope and love and doing God's will. Those are the key points that he has for us in this. And that's the summary of this chapter. It sounds quite simple, and it is actually fairly simple. But our first theme is when and how will he return? It's certain, but the date's not known. And it's interesting, down the history of the church, there have been people who've predicted it. And the Americans seem to be more gullible for this. There are even some small churches, maybe not so small churches, where people have sold their houses because their minister or pastor has told them that Jesus is coming in the next year. Tragic stories, because those people end up pretty destitute, and I think the pastor ends up rather rich, usually. But that's the situation that Paul's addressing for us here. So, how will he return? Your... Um, my buzzer here puts me onto the full slide rather than the separate slide, so you're getting ahead of me on the screen, so don't worry. What's the key word in chapter 4? We have to go back to what Martin was dealing with last week just for the context of what Paul's telling us in this one. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, those who've died, so you don't grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So he's saying it's really important that you understand this. By a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So we have Paul here telling us, and the key word is descend. And we need to understand that for the context of our chapter 5, is that Jesus Christ is returning. Because there's a whole bunch of people, again, particularly in the United States, but it was popular in the 1930s, books called the Left Behind series, and there have been new books in the two years 2000 right up until this day, very popular, and you may like them too, the Left Behind series, whereby you might be, in the 1930s, I read one uh, years ago, you're on a train going to London, hurtling steam train, hurtling at 90 miles an hour, and unfortunately, the chappie who's guiding the train, who's steering, uh, not steering it, the rails do that, don't they? Uh, the chap who's running the steam engine is a Christian, and he's caught up, and the train goes with no brakes, rushing on to London. I sound ridiculous, but I actually discovered in a study I was doing from the Bible Society that in the USA, I, I find it almost unbelievable, but in the USA, American Airlines, according to the article, and it was from reputable people, According to the article, the uh, airline, uh, American Airways, makes sure that the co-pilot or the pilot is not a believing Christian. So that if this moment happens where we're caught up to be with Christ, the plane isn't without a pilot. And you may have heard the term, the rapture. Now, you know, there are two ways of looking at the rapture. We are going to be caught up. That's very clear from verse 17. And we read it there um, for, I'll have it on my own screen here. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be always with the Lord. So there is a rapture. That, I don't like the term because rapture sounds like rapturous. Ooh, wonderful, all right? But we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's clear from this particular verse. But to take that verse without the idea of Christ descending, you end up with a wrong concept. And a lot of us will be following uh, the dispensationalist views that, uh, you know, all the Christians will be removed from this earth and the earth will be left to rot away with all the nasty people left behind. The Left Behind series is the title of most of those books and titles. And you may hold that view, and I'm not ridiculously, ridiculously reducing you to a point that I'm saying you're silly. I'm not. If you want to hold a view, we can hold different views of Scripture. There are so many views of what's going to happen when Jesus returns that there's even a commentary I've got with the different interpretations of what happens in the future depending on which period you're in. And if you're in the medieval period, of course, the Pope was the Antichrist because he was killing off believing Christians. Or if you were earlier in the days of the book of Revelation when it was written, you were, in fact, suffering under Domitian, the emperor who was killing off Christians right and left and center. So depending on where you are, you may have different interpretations. But my grandmother used to amuse her parents in the late Victorian era um, because they firmly believed in this idea of being caught up and my grandmother liked to shock them. And she used to say, well, if it happens when I'm in the bath, I'll go up naked. <laughs> so we can't know is what I'm saying because in one sense to take this too literally, we lose the point. What is Paul telling us about this? In Paul's day, 
the Roman emperor, when he came back from a victory, would come back, say, to Rome, and it would be well known, he's on his way, messengers would have been said, the victorious Caesar is on his way, and all the troops who've survived the battle are coming with him. So everybody in the city of Rome goes out to meet him and join in the triumphal procession. And that's the picture that Paul's saying. Jesus Christ is descending. He's coming to earth. He's not coming to take people away who are Christians. He's coming to earth to reign. He's coming again, and he will stay here. And all those who are caught up with him in the air will come with him and join him in that descent. So we're asking ourselves that question, how and when will he return? And so we have it in our chapter now that he's descending with the resurrected and with those who are alive at the time, joining in, and he'll come like a thief in the night. Now you may find that a bit sinister, somebody breaking into your house and thieving away, but it's an illustration, an idea to convey to you that it's totally unexpected. You, can't pl- you can plan for it in the sense that you're aware a thief might break in, but you don't know when it's going to happen. I was at Gatwick Airport last night, and there are huge notices from presumably the government saying a terrorist attack will occur at some time, but we don't know when. Huge posters. And that's the same image that Paul is giving us as the thief in the night. He also says when people say that there's peace and prosperity and everything's fine, do you remember in the Gospels it tells us uh, that Jesus said, like the days of Noah, they're getting married and so on, things will be quite ordinary. And then the moment of judgment comes as he returns. So our circumstances around us won't predict it. And people can go into too much detail in the Gospels where it says these are signs of his coming. They are signs, but they are only signs. We don't know when. It is extraordinary when this is so clear that we don't know when it will happen that some people still speculate and write all sorts of books. I remember Hal Lindsay writing books which used to... uh, give me a bit of a giggle, really, because of his predictions, because they were almost out of date by the time he'd written them. But... We were given for our wedding a lovely illustrated Hal Lindsey book because I've always been interested in the subject of eschatology, of things in the future, the coming of Christ and so forth. And uh, it was so hilarious that I put it in the attic so people wouldn't find it on my bookshelf. And when we moved to Gillingham from Lancaster, I had to clear out the little attic we had, and I saw it there, so I thought, well, I'm going to throw it away now, really, because I'm just not interested. It may be a beautiful book with illustrations of glorious Jesus' returning and raptured saints. But uh, in the introduction, it says, we shall probably never reach the year 2000. Well, I thought that proves it, and it went in the bin. (laughs) So when people say, we don't know when it'll happen. And it's like labor pains, says Paul, for a woman with child. And again, this is an illustration. A mother who's expecting a baby will probably have a little bag ready for that and a plan of action. What are we going to do when it happens? And some people are caught out, as one of my curates was, when uh, his wife produced the baby upstairs while he was falling for the ambulance. And they kept asking him all sorts of details, name and so on, and... uh, and he said, it's a boy. And he said, how do you know it's a boy? I said, I have no idea it's a boy. It's my wife shouting from upstairs, it's a boy. 
the second coming had come. So like a labor pains, a woman in birth is, is a very good illustration for us. So let's go to the second theme that's in this chapter. I said there were two themes, when and how he's coming. It's certain, but the date is not known. And for now, here's the big question, which Paul and Martin dealt with thoroughly last week as well. It comes up in the previous chapter. How should we live our lives? And in simple terms, it's with faith, with hope, and with love, and doing God's will. So how are we going to see that worked out? Paul gives us some resources. The resources are in the kit bag, which you'll find in this passage. And they don't work on that screen, all right? I shall have to investigate why the church computer doesn't respond to PowerPoints the way I expected them. One thing that's supposed to come out of the bag is a lovely little banner that says, verse 4, you're not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. Hear this word. This is a piece of resource for you. You are not in darkness. When you did what Paul tells us in Romans 10 or 11, declared with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is your boss, and you believed in your heart that he rose from the dead, because that's the most important thing that happened. The cross was important, yes, but his resurrection proved that what he did on the cross works. You moved from darkness to light, says Scripture. So do you realize you're not in darkness? It's not a feeling, it's a fact. And we hold on to it, that we're not in darkness. A transformation has taken place. And the big question for all of us, for me included, is to revise from time to time, have I actually gone on with Christ? Because this is what Paul has touched on in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 here. How are we going to live now? Are we living in the fact that we're in, not in darkness anymore. You remember the story of the Exodus is so important in Scripture. Why? Because they left Egypt. They were rescued from slavery. They were now no longer in darkness because the pillar of light traveled with them. At night, it was a cloud in the day because the sun's shining. They were in light. And yet some of them wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't recognize the fact they were now free. The second thing that I've got on my screen, but you haven't, is verse 5. You are all children of the light. Verse 5. You are children of the day. So don't sleep your life away. Be awake. Be ready, is the metaphor that Paul is trying to. You're all children of light. Jesus said to us, I'm the light of the world. Those who come to me and receive me will not walk in darkness. You're children of light of the day. And again, it's not a feeling, it's a fact. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that won't be a fact for you yet. But it's actually very straightforward to say, I come to you, Lord. I open my life to you, Lord. I want you to be that light lighting up my life so that things change. Paul's saying it's a resource for this how do we live now. And the third one is verse 8. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, you've heard Paul talk about that before. Breastplate of 
Ephesians, isn't it? And here, in this first writing of the New Testament, he's using that same analogy, which shows that if your preachers repeat themselves, it's all right, because there are important things that need to be repeated. But here, Paul is telling us, put on the breastplate, that protection of your vital organs and your heart. Put on faith and love. What's, what's this faith that he's talking about? It's faith in what God has said. Faith in what God has said. Abraham believed God. Noah believed God. And there are many other examples in Scripture of people who have trusted, faith is trust, have believed God and therefore been in that situation of security full of faith. I love the Narnia stories, as you probably do too, but the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for me, some of the early moments are exciting where Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, knowing that the wolves are coming, are full of faith that Aslan is coming. And so even though the tension is there, and there are issues in our lives that are difficult to face and cope with, tragedies and whatever happens to us, we can have faith and say, it's all right. Not just Aslan is coming, but Jesus is coming soon. So the breastplate of faith, the breastplate of love as well. Love is absolutely fascinating uh, because for Paul, as a Jewish Pharisee who knows his scriptures well will have known that Jesus will have repeated and so will Paul have repeated at least three times a day Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 onwards hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is the only Lord or unique Lord and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength why is that repeated because it's a reminder that you are in God changed by him if you listen to him and to hear means to obey to respond to what his word is so put on love love him and as Jesus summarized the law the second commandment that's great is love your neighbor as yourself so put those things on says Paul I, I like the way Martin said last week this is actually quite hard it's a deliberate act on our part that we're going to hear God's word and do what he says we pray in the Lord's Prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's a prayer for yourself as well isn't it will you do what God wills you to do on this earth and be a loving person both to him and to your neighbor and the next one that he brings on is verse 8 same verse put on the helmet the hope of salvation those praying before the service uh, reminded us of hope as something which an ingredient in our lives that we need to have. <laughs> hope, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, or was it J.B. Phillips, I can't remember, said hope, I think it's J.B. Phillips, said hope is not like standing at a bus stop and hoping a bus is going to come, because it might not. Hope in bi the Bible is something you trust in because you know it will happen. And we'll find at the end of our passage there is a reminder of that as, again. So put these protective things on. They're not combative. 
Breastplates and helmets are there to protect you. And actually a friend of mine in preaching on a passage from Ephesians said, the helmet tells you which army you're in. Because different countries have different helmets for their soldiers, so you know who to shoot or not shoot. Doesn't quite work like that in warfare, I know, but uh, whose camp are we in? Will you put on that helmet, the hope of salvation? So, question is, why bother with all these suggestions how to live? Verse 6 and 8, be sober. Doesn't just mean don't get drunk with alcohol. Being sober means think, be ready for the day when he comes. Be watchful, be not asleep. That doesn't mean you don't sleep at night. It's again a figurative term of speech. Verse 11, encourage one another, says Paul. And then from 12 to 22, he has this great list. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Do be aware. Uh, it's my own experience, having been an incumbent for many years, now retired, it's a little more peaceful when you're retired. It's not that people are nasty. It's just people take things so seriously. And there are things that those who are over you have to carry that they can't share because the confidentiality is about other situations and see things differently than you might. Therefore, do esteem them. Look after them. Pray for them. Paul is telling us there. I'm asking the question, why bother with all these suggestions how to live? Well, here's one of Paul's. Love those. And if there's a PCC member that you're irritated with, a particular voter decision was taken, there are complex issues that sometimes arise and we don't know all the facts. So don't persecute a PCC member because of a decision that was taken. Esteem them, says Paul. Look after them. And of course, if they do go off the rails, then action has to be taken, but that's a different matter and Paul doesn't cover that here. Be at peace among yourselves. Ah, that's a good one for church life, isn't it? I repeat, as Martin said last week, some of this is hard. How do you do it? Some people are irritating. I'm irritating to my wife and children, and they're grown up now. My wife's been grown up for a long time. Be, you know, be at peace with one another. Learn to work out how to calm things down and get relationships up and running again. Admonish the idle. That's not about those who are unemployed. If you're a sort of person that says, Jesus is coming soon, I don't have to do anything, I can sponge off everybody else, they can provide for me. No, admonish them and say, come on, mate, put some effort in to life. You may be unemployed, okay, well, let's make sure that you're looked after, of course, the state, that's where your taxes come from, uh, you know, does try to look after those who are in those difficult situations, but if you're idle, then Paul says, admonish them. Encourage the faint-hearted. You know, if you are struggling with things, do belong to church family. Don't do your Christianity on your own. It is encouraging to be with others, and I find it so encouraging to come week by week to a church family and to belong to a small group. Encouragement comes through each other. You can't do it on your own. Help the weak, be patient with them all. I mentioned about irritability. Paul is, knows what life's like. 
what the community is like. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil and so forth. Pray without ceasing, rejoice always, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't prevent God doing stuff in your life or the life of other people. Don't despise prophesying, prophesy, prophecies. Let God speak to you. Particularly important, I think, in the early church, the prophetic element, because they didn't have all the scriptures we have. Paul's letters were not yet written except this one so far. And so revelations were far more important in the early... They're not recorded. It's quite interesting they're not recorded, all those prophecies. They're not foretelling the future. A prophetic word is, what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 14? It's there to edify and build up the church and encourage. Test everything, Paul says. Test everything. That's fascinating. Why does he say test everything? There are two types of thinking, so the psychologists tell us. There's quick thinking and slow thinking. Quick thinking is when you're driving your car, you just do it, don't you? You're boiling the kettle to make a cup of tea. You don't, oh, I've got to lift the kettle. I've got to turn it that way. There's no effort in it. You just think like that and you can do it. That's quick thinking. The moment I say to you 124 multiplied by 48, your brain goes into a seize up and says, ah, I can't do quick thinking there. I've got to do some hard thinking. And Paul says, test everything. There are different interpretations of that particular verse, but I believe this is something which, in the, again, our Hebraic background of our New Testament, you need to think out, how am I going to apply God's word to this situation? Let's just take an example, Brexit. It's worrying people. Well, you know, the main thing that's said by the politician is we'll all be poorer if we leave. But actually, we could be poorer if we stay because Europe's in a bit of a mess, frankly. And I go to France regularly and know what a mess there is with all the strikes going on all the time, rather violent. Italy, Greece, and so forth. We don't know. But apply scripture. Where is your security? Is it in those things? Yes, we need to vote for it. Yes, we need to care for it. Yes, we need to pray for our politicians to make good decisions. But ultimately... Where is your hope fixed? Think. Deep thinking. Don't have the quick automatic response. Oh dear. Actually do some exploration of scripture. You see there are issues like, for example, the whole gender issues is a complex issue in our society today. So that even two famous sports people were saying, should we allow gender transferred males in women's events to have an advantage or not? And then there's the other group that says, of course, they've decided that they're the other. Those are difficult issues. And if you're struggling with gender issues, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying these are difficult issues today. Test everything. Find out what scripture is going to help you, guide you through those difficult issues. And what's the key point in this chapter? Why bother with all these suggestions how to live? Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus the Messiah, who died for us so that whether we uh, are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 
That is a key point for him. That's the reason why we should look to these suggestions he makes about how to live is because of what Christ has done. Like the slaves who were entrapped in Egypt and unable to get away from Pharaoh and suffering, they are now free. They had to enter in with effort to go to the promised land. God hasn't destined us for judgment, for wrath, his condemnation, but to receive the salvation of which we've already received part. The Holy Spirit is sent to us as a down payment of what's yet to be even more glorious. Your resurrection body for a start is to come. It's nice for those who are wearing out. To obtain a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who died for us. Here's a reminder of the essential part of the good news. Jesus died for us. And then by implication, because he's resurrected, that's where the power comes from, we might live with him. Notice it says we might live with him. Just a minute. He's been talking in the previous chapter, which is why I wanted to deal with that, with the dead. They will be raised. And we can live with him. So it's living with him now. So bother with these suggestions because you love Jesus Christ because he's loved you. Then live these suggestions that Paul makes. So how can we fulfill all these suggestions? Well, it'll come up as a big screen all in one for you. First one is he gives his Holy Spirit. Want to know how you can live and fulfill all those ideas? See, one of the good suggestions, for example, I mean, here's a silly story, but it's not so silly because I was, uh, I would have been a bit, I think, five pounds better off in not paying tax by a little fiddle I did on my tax return uh, some years ago, now many years ago. And uh, I went to bed because I'd done it in pencil in those, I had to write it out uh, in those days. And... Um, <clears throat> I woke in the morning, and my reading was in Romans towards the end, and there was a phrase, pay your taxes, very short sentence. And I thought, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'll go back and correct it. It was a small item, but their scripture was nudging me to say, Peter, do what's right. He gives his Holy Spirit to you, and his word speaks to you. Do you know some of the most wonderful theologians we've got nowadays who really are truly believers say you cannot understand scripture unless you know Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. Don't quench the spirit. Prophecies I've mentioned, testing things, encourage one another and pray this prayer. This prayer is absolutely powerful. It's wonderful. Here's Paul praying now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Our translation we had before didn't put the word surely but I think surely is, or an American surely, um, good girlfriend's name, uh, surely, sure, surely in English we should do it. He's going to do it. The God of peace you know, the word in the Bible, peace, is not just calmness. It's shalom. And shalom means wholeness. It doesn't just mean quietness. It means wholeness. The God of wholeness, the God who is totally integrated and good. That's who he's praying to. 
sanctify you. Don't think sanctification is that feeling holy. Sanctification is about you being called out. He's destined us not for wrath. You've been called out. You've been called out of Egypt. So now walk the walk and allow him to let that new life work out in you. And whole spirit, soul, and body, this is again a Hebraic view of the human being. You can't separate your spirit from your body or your soul from your body. When you die, you will not be a soul floating around in some nirvana or heaven. The body is part of what God has given us. And we shall have a new body, which is nice. But that's another subject in 1 Corinthians 15. Your whole of you, all of you, every aspect of you, be kept blameless at the coming. That's the call of Paul. He's saying, look, take these scriptural suggestions about loving your neighbor, looking after people, not repaying with evil, not doing those things. That's what God wants for you. You can be kept blameless. For the resources I've mentioned before. And he who calls you is faithful. That is for me the biggest and most wonderful thing. God is more interested in keeping me on track than I am of keeping myself on track. I'd like us to stand. And I'd like us to pray for us and the wider church. By our saying the prayer that's there from verse 23 onwards together as we allow God to do this for us as a community let's pray it to him as Paul prayed it for the church in Thessalonica now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Amen. Amen.